Welcome to the City Reach Baptist Podcast. If you would like more information about the life of our church, please go to our website at cityreach.com.au or like us on Facebook. We hope you enjoy this message. Church, are you ready to say good morning? Good morning, church. It is so lovely to be with you today. We're going to be in the book of John, so if you have your Bibles, please take them and open it up to John chapter 13. And we're going to conclude our series, uh, The Servant Revolution, that Pastor Timon has been taking us through. We broke away from the regular flow to have a four-week focus on these beautiful verses. Now, just before we uh, jump in to the two-hour-long sermon I have for you today, I wanted to mention that uh, Mabel Hammond... Uh, many of you will know Mabel, uh, Leona's mum and uh, Nathan Webster's grandmother uh, went to be with the Lord last Sunday and uh, the family have had a, a funeral service up at Munta on Friday and there will be a memorial service, a thankgiving service here in our chapel on Thursday at 10am and we would of course invite you if you're able to to be here to celebrate this lovely lady's life, to uh, show your respect, to show your comfort to Nathan and to Leona and the family, extended family. So please make note of that. Leona and Nathan, we do extend our sympathy to you and we know that the Lord has been your comfort and your strength and uh, you're a precious part of our community. Let's just pray before we jump into God's word together today. Father, I want to say thank you for this beautiful day and these precious people that you have drawn here. Father, we thank you for Leona and we thank you for Nathan and Amy and their children and the blessing that they have been to us for, for year after year and continue to be so. And we pray your comfort upon them. We thank you for Mabel, Lord, and we thank you that uh, you, you are the God who redeems and saves uh, and, Lord, that gives eternal life. And we thank you for working your plan together perfectly for Mabel. And Lord, as we approach this coming Thursday, we just ask that it will be a time we recognise it'll be a, a mixture of uh, sadness, but also rejoicing. And we just ask that you would be a comfort to the family. Father, as we open your word, we pray that you would speak to us. And uh, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us as we absorb this wonderful character, this wonderful person, this wonderful brother in the Lord, uh, Peter. And of course, as we look into the face of our precious Saviour, the Lord Jesus, we ask your blessing on us in Jesus' name. And all the people said, Amen. It is so nice to be with you today. We realise when we come to this section of John chapter 13, as we've been going through, really the, the abiding theme that flows through this section is that Jesus came to serve and not be served, which is profound and we could spend a lifetime going over that, that the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of the heavens and the earth would come as a baby in the manger and grow to be this magnificent man and at his heart was not to be served but to come and serve us. And then leaving in this, this beautiful model of service, which was what John, that's why we slowed down in John chapter 13 because we have this beautiful picture of serving as Christ served us. He leaves us this wonderful example of to love one another as he has loved us, to, to wash one another's feet, to care for one another as Christ has cared for us. And as we come to the concluding passages in 36 and onwards, we really get a little bit of a window into the life of Peter. And I'm hoping we can sort of lift him off the pages a little bit 
and not having that as this one-dimensional character, but to really be able to get an understanding of what goes on in his life and then reflect on how that speaks to us. We've entitled this series, The Servant Revolution. And I've entitled this message today, Christ in us, eagerly serving one another. Christ in us, eagerly serving one another. And the reason I entitled that is because at the heart of this, I want you to see that no matter how talented you are, no matter how gifted you may be, that's not enough to be able to serve as Christ served. The beautiful side of this coin is, this sort of speaks to me, even if you don't have any talent and you feel talentless, that's okay too because it's actually it's Christ in you that enables you to serve others. So I love this about the gospel. I love this about the indwelling Holy Spirit is everybody's on the same footing. Yeah. Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> Maybe that's the tall poppy syndrome in me, but there you go. God is not in the business of remodeling. He hasn't come to redecorate your life and to make you awesome. He has come to make you anew. He has come to transform you from the inside out. And he, he does that in a moment and he continues to do that through, I believe, eternity. And we read this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, if anyone is in... Now, just a little secret if you knew, this is going to go a lot quicker if you participate. Okay. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all has become well, new. Thank you. I know I mucked that up, but you get the drift, don't you? Jesus Christ in us enables us to be able to serve one another. But here we have in focus in these last few verses, and it would be easy just to say, well, we dug up all the gold in the previous verses, but actually this this little closing passage is replete with blessing as we focus in on Peter. The Gospels are full of Peter. If you take just a general read of the Gospels, Matthew right through, you will see Peter popping up everywhere, which should be a signal to you of his style of personality. No disciple spoke more than Peter spoke. No disciple was addressed more or reproved more by the Lord Jesus Christ than Peter. Only Peter thought that he could reprove the Lord Jesus Christ. So bold and outgoing is his character. At times he thought that he could help the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, to sharpen his pencil and do a better job. No disciple encouraged Jesus more. No disciple bothered Jesus more. And here is a lesson for us. Peter was certainly a handful, but one is never too big for the hands of God. Isn't that great news? And that says to you and I today, no matter how difficult our lives may, no matter how complicated we may be, no matter how many times we may pull on the the trouser leg of our God and say, where are we going? When are we going to arrive? Daddy, mummy, I want a drink. God is never so bothered with us that he cannot deal with us. His hands are not so small that God cannot take us in hand. What a, a wonderful thing to remember Peter was a handful, but no one is too big for the hands of God. Christ spoke words of approval to Peter more than he spoke them to anyone else or any other disciple. He praised him, even spoke blessing on him more than he spoke to any other disciple. Christ also spoke more sternly to Peter. And it's hard to get into our minds when you think about the Last Supper and 
Timon explained this, I thought, beautifully with that photo up on the screen of the disciples reclining around the table and at the head of the table we had the Lord Jesus in the middle and to his left was Judas, a significant place of importance, a real place of authority and yet even the one that would portray our Lord for 30 pieces of silver was not spoken as sternly to as what Peter was. (laughs) Peter was one of those people who was like a sore toe He would walk through a dark room at night and it would hit everything. Peter was a handful for God. Peter could be brilliant one moment and then he could be as dumb as a post the next moment. I say that with the utmost respect to him because we will see him one day. I was conscious of that when I prepared this message that I'm speaking. (laughs) Not going to look good if I get into glory and get a beating on my first day, is it? I was also conscious, as you'll see when we go through this passage, not only was that, will I see Peter one day and talk to him and he will remind me of points that I should have covered, but I'll also meet our Saviour. And our Saviour loved Peter and Peter loved him. And so my heart, I've got to tell you, I'm not in the mood to beat him up or to point out his shortcomings because I have many more. But Peter was an unusual character in that, as I say, one minute he could be supernaturally brilliant. Literally, the words of the King of Kings would come out of his mouth and upon that foundation of his confession of Christ would the church be built. I mean, incredibly significant. And it would seem as quickly as he'd spoken those words, the other Peter would show up and stuff would come out that really was out of step with what God was doing. And there's a lesson there for us as well. Have a look at Luke chapter 5. I want to take you through for a moment just show you some scriptures that will help underscore this incredible genius or this incredible supernatural work in Peter's life and then the not so supernatural work of Peter's life. You might relate to both perhaps. Luke chapter 5 and verse 8, most of these will be on the screen but please feel free to check unless I'm leading you up the garden path. But but when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' feet or Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. This is the picture of the fish coming into the boat at the command of the Saviour to pull up the nets and the boats were so overwhelmed with fish that there was a thought that they might actually sink. Peter understanding significance that this man who gave the command was not a mere man was brought to his knees before the Lord Jesus Christ and he could not but cry out, depart from me. Peter's quite a, a complex man because he will make a lot of mistakes but he had a a significant understanding of who he was. He recognised that being a sinner was not a good thing and he was conscious of sin in his life and he was conscious that he didn't quite measure up or not even close to the standard of God. And when presented with this picture of holiness, it didn't make him angry, it didn't make him sour, it didn't make him disrespectful. It brought him to his knees. He didn't have an answer for that. But other than to please go away from me because... You are too holy. Peter is a a lover of God. He's conscious of his sin. Come over with me a little bit further. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 16. Simon Peter said, this is incredible. Simon Peter said, uh, when Jesus asked, who do they say I am and who do you say I am? And he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That's, That's incredibly profound. 
This is a, a fisherman who's been walking with the Lord Jesus Christ and there's been people accusing Jesus and slandering Jesus and they've suffered together and they've walked together and Peter has seen Jesus, that, if, if it's possible, at his worst and at his best. He's, he's seen him for all of his humanity and all his godliness. And when asked that question, he didn't fumble around. It's almost as though this thing was bubbling within his soul and it spilt out and he cries out, You are the Christ. The son of the living God. And that's awesome. Inspiring. And then we move down to verse 22 and Peter took him aside. This is the Lord Jesus having talk, spoken about his crucifixion and, and Peter takes him aside and rebukes him. He's just confessed him as you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And a few verses, six verses later, he's actually rebuking Jesus Christ saying, far be it from you. Lord, this thing shall never happen to you. I will actually stop you from going to the cross and paying the price for all humanity so that we can enjoy heaven. That's effectively what he was saying. That's like slightly out of step with the program of God here, Pete. Like back up, let's take a check. God has been had this plan in place from the beginning of time. And now because you're resting in your own strength and now because you've lost perspective of who Christ is and who you are, and because you don't fully understand the depth of God's plan, you've, you've completely misspoke. Now, how many times have we been in a situation where we have not understood the depth of God's plan, where we've got ahead of ourselves, we've trusted in our own confidence, and we've said things that we wish we could never, ever be reminded of? Peter was in that situation. Come down, or come over to Matthew 14 and 28, and Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come out on the water. So we have this picture of the disciples in a boat and the weather has come up and there's a storm and they're in fear of their lives and they look and this person appears and it's actually Jesus Christ, the Son of God, walking on the water. And Peter is filled with such faith. He says, Lord, if it's your will, let me come out to you. And the Lord Jesus invites him out. Peter, this is incredible. Peter steps out of the boat and he walks on water. Like, put your hand up if you've done that. An incredible faith-filled act as Peter steps out of the boat and begins to walk on the water as the Lord had commanded him because the one he spoke about, the Christ, the Son of God, has power over the wind and the waves. He also has power over all the natural things that we are subject to and at a moment he can change them if he chooses. He was able to make Peter walk on the water. But then Peter, two verses later, gets his eyes off the Lord. If you look a little bit down, you'll see it on the screen. And he sees the wind and again he loses perspective and he begins to sink below the waves and cries out, Lord, please save me. He goes from the magnificent to drowning in the presence of the living God. Man, I have been there many times. John 6, 67, 69 says, So Jesus said to the twelve, this is a profound thing. Again, we see Peter, this complex man. What's happened is all there's a lot more disciples around Jesus and the twelve, and they've all started to come to the knowledge that Jesus is not going to pay all their bills, and he's not going to feed them all the time, and he's not going to help them win the lotto. So a lot of them think, well, we're jack of that. We're just going to go back and find somebody who can. And Jesus turns to the 12 and says, well, he says these words to them. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? 
And again, here's this supernatural, sublime thing within Peter's spirit. Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? Because you have the words of eternal life. That's, that's beautiful. Isn't that true for us today? Like, where are we going to go? Who else has the words of life? No one but the Lord Jesus Christ. What a beautiful thing to say to our Saviour. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And upon this confession, the church is built. Amazing. Amazing stuff. How awesome, how divine this revelation was. So insightful, the most beautiful of declarations. Now I want you to come back with me into John chapter 13. And as Pastor Timon showed us in the weeks previous, we see this complex person again as Jesus is serving the disciples and washing their feet. And he comes to Peter and says to Peter, I'm going to wash your feet. And Peter says, no, no way. No way are you washing my feet. And it's not because Peter thinks too highly of himself. I think it's just that he thinks very, very highly of the Lord Jesus and doesn't want to see him in that servant position. But right there, he completely misses the boat because this is what Jesus has been saying all the way along. I've not come to be served, but I've come to serve. And, and Peter, I want you to be a servant like me. And if I don't wash your feet, Peter, you'll have no part with me. Well, at that, Peter turns and says, well, you can wash my whole body then. And he sort of misses the boat there too because he doesn't understand the process of salvation or sanctification. And the Lord uh, lovingly rebukes him. He is an interesting character, Peter. So two things we learn about Peter, two things that spoke to me as I looked through this. The first thing is that Peter is bold. He doesn't leave anything in the bank. If he's got an opinion, you'll hear about the whole thing. He has this impulsive confidence. He's always the one that jumps up first. He's always the one that's speaking the most. He's always the one that's got a thought on something. What you see with Peter is what you get. He's not two-faced or a double standard. He's a hard grafting, hard working, down to earth, suburbs fisherman. And what you see is what you get. He is full steam ahead. He is a strong man with strong convictions. And when I talk about a strong man, this is a man whom all his life and very likely even as a child as his father taught him, he has been pulling heavy nets full of fish and full of water into boats. He has been rowing boats that are heavy, full of men and full of fish. This is a man who's grafted out one of the hardest livings that you can ever go to in those times. And he is strong. His hands are strong, his arms are strong, his chest is strong, his back is strong, and that describes his character as well. He is a strong man, very, very capable, very passionate, very much a man. And this is the second thing I want you to see. He is a man who loved the Lord Jesus Christ. He genuinely loved him. He cared about him. He wanted to see Jesus succeed. He wanted to see Jesus protected. He wanted to see Jesus blessed. He was prepared to die for the Lord Jesus Christ. And even at his worst, Peter still loved the Lord Jesus Christ. He was a lover of God. Do you get that? Peter's a tough man. On the exterior, he's a tough man. A strong man. Men who were pressed into uh, hard labour in prison 
at a young age and were put away for a long period of time, oftentimes almost attained a supernatural strength because of the pressure of work. And they, were, they could move significant sized rocks and carry significant weights just because of the rigour on their bodies. They were seriously tough. Peter is that man. He's tough on the outside, but on the inside, there's an incredible tenderness. He has a deep passion for God. He has an understanding of the need to be right before God and is desirous to be right before God. So much so, it brings him to his knees in a boat where he cries out, depart from me, Lord. He's a man who's prepared to lay down his life because he loves the Lord Jesus, whom he's declared as the Christ more than he loves himself. But Peter is about to face the most soul-breaking experience of his life. It will bring him to the end of himself. The experience that he's about to face after chapter 13 through 13 to 21 will completely reset his foundation. It'll completely tip him upside down. It will take him beyond any resource that he has within himself to cope. He will be an utterly broken man by the end of this. And God was right in the middle of it, making it happen. Because this is what God does to those whom he is going to use. He takes us and he breaks us and then he remakes us. He breaks us so that he can remake us. He breaks us so that we learn the significant lesson of not resting in our own strength and our own ability, but that even with great strength and great ability, we lay that down at the feet of Christ and we allow the Spirit of God to work through us for the glory of God. His strength, his zeal, his bullish charm will be no match. The strong man will end up in tears. His life will end up in tatters. He'll lose all bearing. His faith will fail. His mouth will betray him. His dreams will come crashing down. But then God will shine in his life in the most beautiful way and remake him. Don't fight God when he deals harshly with you because it's actually God showing you mercy and remaking you. God is the master of restoring the broken. God can use these times to show us that there is a better way to serve him, that there is a better strength to rely on, that there is a better way to move forward. You see, Peter's presumption and pride were actually fatal. If, I'm sorry to do this, to break you're thinking, but has somebody got a tissue they haven't used? Because I've just got a dripping nose. If you could bring that forward, I won't make you say anything or anything like that. Peter's presumption and pride was a, a real issue for him. It actually, what it does, this presumption of our abilities and this presumption of pride, is it, it blinds us from the situations in our lives. Thank you very much. Can I have the whole lot? You beauty. I, I may need them. I'm trying to... Just got a little dripping nose. Jeff, would you be so kind as to turn me down for a minute? I know I do that a lot when I'm preaching to you, and I even took a tablet this morning that my doctor gave me to stop me having a runny nose. I'm going to see him on Monday and straighten him out. <laughs> I was only joking, Harry. That was just that was a joke. Yeah. Okay. Now get this, Peter's uh, pride and self-reliance became blinding. It's a funny thing, pride 
of life and presumption because at sometimes it can be a blessing to you, but the other side of the sword is that it can undo you, and certainly that's the case here. When you look at Peter's response in chapter 13, where Jesus reveals to him at the end of that chapter that he's going somewhere that Peter can't come to, what he's actually showing us here, Jesus is saying, I'm going to the cross to die for humanity and pay the price for sin so that people can be redeemed and that they can have a home in heaven. And Peter's saying, but what are you talking about, Lord? Why can't I come with you? <laughs> he just like has totally missed the boat altogether. And it's kind of embarrassing but sad how shallow his thinking was. A bit like skipping a stone across the water, you know, how it just pops across the top of the water. And that's what Peter was doing here. His pride had stopped him from digging in deep and understanding what God was doing. And rather, he was just skipping across the top and he was consumed with his own thinking. I was at a, uh, a, a, a group a meeting a little while ago and there were some leaders of, of churches in Adelaide speaking at that really lovely time. And one of those was Paul Harrington, uh, the leader of the Trinity Network. And Paul Harrington was asked a really interesting question. He said, what makes a great leader? When you look at, through your congregation and you're raising up men and women for different ministries, what is it that you're looking for? And we, I expected him to say they've got a great grasp of scripture or they're Bible trained or they're tall and handsome. And he came back with this. He said, I like to choose people who have a good understanding of themselves. A good understanding of who they are. And I, I believe that what Paul meant was a good understanding of their abilities and their lack of abilities, but also a good understanding of who they are before the Lord, that they are a sinner saved by grace, and it's only in his strength that they're able to do their ministry. A person who really grasps that. And, we're, and they're getting their strength not from their own abilities, but they're looking to God to bring fruitfulness in their life and then that fruitfulness overflow into their areas of ministry. They're looking to God for fruitfulness in their life and then that fruitfulness flows into their marriage and looking for fruitfulness from God because they recognise God as their saviour and that they need to humble themselves before, you, before him and then that fruitfulness flows out into every aspect of their lives. A person who's got a good concept. Peter, at moments, he had that by the throat. And then it became a slippery seed for him and it got out between his fingers and he lost that perspective of spiritual death. Sadly, in the passage where Jesus was talking about going to the cross and that he would soon depart from them, Peter didn't hear any of the depth. He only heard the last part and responded so poorly to that. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 18 says this, Pride goes before destruction and a haunty spirit before a fall. Has anybody here experienced that personally? Haven't we all done that? Haven't we got so far out in front of God, we think we, we've got it nailed down, we think we understand what God's doing, we think we've made the right decision, only to find it comes back and slaps us in the face and reminded that we need to be humble before God. I want you to hear this. A raw talent, not bridled by a broken and contrite heart, will always, will always become self-serving. You hear that? A raw talent not bridled by a broken and contrite heart will always become self-serving. God loves a broken and contrite heart. God loves it when we're humble before him. And when we humble ourselves before him, God takes our raw talent and he's able to massage it and superimpose it over the situation and use it for his glory. If we don't do that, it just becomes us working and it's ineffectual and painful. Raw talent is not enough. It actually oftentimes can be a huge hindrance. Hear this. Like the uber-talented. 
oftentimes find it hard to rest in the strength of God because they can do it so well on their own. And then if you're like me and you have a lack of talent, you've got nowhere else to go but to God. And so I love the way that sort of evens the foundation out again. God's not looking for the uber-talented. God's looking for the contrite and the broken. Luke 22, 60, 62 says this. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the, Lord's, uh, the saying of the Lord, how he said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went away weeping bitterly. So we've moved out of chapter 13 and we've made a bit of a journey right through and the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be crucified. And Peter, not understanding that he couldn't follow him, did that very thing. He followed him. The other disciples stayed outside the courtyard that Jesus went into where the soldiers had him in, where they were questioning him. And Peter sort of squirreled his way in there. A young woman said, aren't you one of those Galileans? Aren't you one of those followers of Jesus? And he denied it once. And then he denied it a second time. And then... This beautiful man who loved God by his own very mouth cursed himself as he said, no, I don't know who this Jesus is. And just then the cock crowed. He looked across and Jesus was looking at him and their eyes locked together. And Peter's world was like flipped upside down. Everything he trusted in at that moment left him. And I know that because when you look at the text, it says, what did he do? He went away and how did he weep? Bitterly. This is not somebody with a runny nose and tearful eyes. This is a man who, for better want of a word, has had a complete breakdown. His hopes, his dreams, he's finding himself now at his lowest ebbs. His dreams have been dashed. He's confused about himself. He's confused about life. Nothing makes sense to him anymore. He doesn't have an answer to get through this thing. Everything that he sort of relied on, every strength that he had was no use to him at this time. He was in a very, very dark hole. And the only thing that Peter had was questions. Was questions. And can you imagine the next few days for Peter as Jesus went to the cross and died on the cross and Peter would have seen him on the cross. And Peter would have been thinking about the fact that he denied him. And everything that he'd hoped for was gone. Peter was hoping that Jesus would be raised up to be a great conqueror and would overcome the Romans and that they would move into a time of prosperity. And all that stuff that he thought was going to happen didn't happen. And now he didn't know anything anymore. All he knows is that his best friend has died. And the last words they had together was him denying that he knew him. His life was torn apart. He did the only thing he knew how to do. He went back to fishing again. Now I want you to move with me in your mind's eye through to chapter 21. Jesus has been risen from the dead. That must have been, what a total mixture of feelings for Peter. The one he loved has risen from the dead and he was the second one in the tomb. Not a great runner, but a strong man. And he must have been rejoicing that Jesus was risen from the dead, but there would be that ache within his spirit and within his soul, that realisation that one day they would have to stop and talk about what happened when Peter denied him three times. And they hadn't had that chance yet. 
And then the story goes, as we move into it, and it'll be up on the screen for you, Peter's out on the boat with the other disciples and they're fishing and they've got a great weight of fish in the boat. And then someone says, look, there's Jesus and Jesus is on the shore and he's got a fire lit and he's cooking fish over the fire. Customary way to have breakfast for, in that time. And Peter, just full of this boyish, beautiful love, doesn't row the boat in, he just jumps out and swims like crazy to the bank. And the other disciples who are a little bit more conservative, they start rowing. Yeah. <laughs> but Peter had streeted him. He was up on the bank and he would have moved up to the fire and up to speak to the Lord Jesus Christ. But do you know that feeling when things need to be spoken about and they haven't yet been spoken about? And it's kind of gnawing away in your guts and you don't know how it's going to go. And he would have been looking at the Lord Jesus Christ and wondering, like, where am I with you? And where are we going and what's happening? Because the last time we got together, it wasn't really great. And that's when you move into chapter 21. and It'll be on the screen. It is on the screen for you. When they'd finished breakfast, that awkward eating together, which would have been a delight, but at the same time, he's got this thing he wants to get sorted. Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? That would have hurt. not nice when you get reminded of your failures is it we've all had them and to get reminded of a failure by somebody you really love and admire that's that's even harder and he had nowhere to go like they're having breakfast together do you love me all of these and he did all he could do he said yes lord i love you and he said feed my lambs and then he said to him a second time simon son of john do you love me and he said to him yes lord you know that i love you and he said to him tend my sheep and then he said to him a third time, like, fair dinkum, do you love me? And Peter was grieved. Like, he felt like he was getting dragged through the coals. But actually, this is very beautiful. And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. How many times did Jesus, how many times did uh, Peter deny Jesus? Three times. How many times did Jesus ask him, if you love me? I think, I don't know how deep that is. We'll cover that when we come. But uh, this beautiful restoration, Peter, I love you too. And I want to go back over that thing that was painful between us and broken and where you were broken and I want to restore you and bring you back in because, Peter, I'm going to use you. And the reason I'm, part of the reason why I can use you, Peter, is because you have been broken before me. Being broken is not bad, folks. Being broken in God's hands is beautiful. God's hands are big enough to handle our brokenness. Let's move on. I want to take you through a few observations just to close out our time. Psalm 51 and verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a what? This is time for you to talk while I blow my nose, okay? The sacrifices of God. Let's do it together. Let's read that verse together. You ready? The sacrifices... Amen. Isn't that good news? Excuse me, Tissue, I know I'm grossing you out. Forgive me. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. And the Lord does not... What? Despise. 
Isn't it beautiful to know that you can come before God with a broken and contrite heart? Lord, I recognize that I am a sinner and that I need your grace in my life and I am overcome with my brokenness. I'm overcome with the way that I live and I want to live an honoring life to you and the Lord does not despise that. He welcomes us. Tells us also in James that we can ask him for, for wisdom and God will not rebuke us for asking for wisdom. He delights in us asking for wisdom. Second Corinthians, we read this. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will boast more gladly in my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon you. This is the Apostle Paul experiencing that same brokenness that Peter went through. And he recognised that the brokenness, although painful, was actually a real gift to him from God because it revealed that God is wanting to work in our weakness, not in our strength. God's going to take you to that place. Second Peter 1.4 tells us that we have been given these beautiful and wonderful promises through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Humility, I want to come through a little bit further. Galatians says that I have been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I that live, but what does it say? Christ lives in me. For us to be as effective lovers of one another and lovers of God, it's a work of the Holy Spirit in and through us to enable us to do that. Humility connected with the right understanding of oneself allows the Holy Spirit free reign in our, and I should have put an S on the end, free reign in our lives. It will always result in glory to God. Humility, when it's connected with a right understanding of who we are before God. God, I humble myself before you because I recognise I am a sinner saved by grace and this very day I need you to work in and through me to do even the simplest of things, to love my colleagues, to love my family, to serve in my workplace, to be the man, the woman that you have designed me to be. I'm not going to rest in my raw talent. I'm going to rest in the finished work of Christ. When we have finally allowed God to prize our fingers off the steering wheel of self-reliance, our service of love, now fueled by Christ alone, will lead to a life of God-glorifying fruitfulness. Many of us are like that in the car, you know, those people that push their seat right now. If you do this, just relax, because we, but know that we do laugh at you. You push the seat right forward, and you've got the back up and the headrest, and you're right up on the steering wheel, and your knuckles are white, and your eyes are focused forward, and you're strangling that thing to death, because you know where you're going, and nobody's going to tell you any different, and we do this in our lives. We, we're so not reliant on God and we're relying so much on ourselves. We're in this tense position of being in control, of trying to get to where we believe God wants us to go. And God's saying, hey, just wind it back a bit. Take the seat back, take your hands off the steering wheel and let the work, the finished work of Christ in you as you meditate upon your identity in Christ, let that be your motivation and your strength for loving one another, not your raw talent. You don't have enough. The most talented person in this room fall short just like the person with the least talent. Isn't that great news? That we're all on the same footing? I want to close with this and I want to thank you for your patience this morning. 1 Peter 4, 7 to 11. Don't you find this really cool? Like We've been talking about Peter as a young, younger man walking with Jesus before he was filled with the Holy Spirit, which happened at Pentecost and as he became this significant leader within a church and did some wonderful things for God. And then we read this passage that Peter himself wrote, wrote as a more mature man. Now, I think that really tells us a lot about how God used that 
heartbreaking event to make him a man who became significant. And he even starts it with this, the end of all things. I thought that was really cool. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keeping, uh, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Who has more authority to say that than Peter? Do you get that? Yeah. Doesn't that have so much weight? Like he's not trying to beat you up. He's sharing from his heart. Man, I've experienced this. He says... Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Every fisherman likes to eat. Ask each, uh, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. That's, that's worth a sermon on its own, that word. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves, what does it say? You're not on your own. You, pastor, and your elders have called us as a church to serve one another as Christ has served us. And this is not something where you go to your cupboard and get out your tool bag of gifts and try and muster up service. This is one where you remind yourself of what Christ has done in you and for you. And out of the overwhelming awe for God, then go out and wash one another's feet. He has not called you to something that he has not gifted you to do. Isn't that great news? So let us be a church that serves one another out of the strength that the abiding Holy Spirit has given to us and who we are in Christ. Let me pray for you as we close. Father, I thank you for, again, these precious people. Thank you for your great grace towards us in the Lord Jesus. We thank you for men like Peter, uh, this beautiful mixture of strength and yet incredible tenderness. And Lord Jesus, we say thank you for the way you love us and restore us. You are so thoughtful and so gracious the way you draw us back. And we say thank you this side of the cross, this side of the resurrection, that we have your Holy Spirit abiding in us. And Father, we humble ourselves before you in the lovely name of the Lord Jesus and we just pray that you would shine your love and your mercy and your grace through us that we might serve one another as you have served us. And we say thank you for this privilege and this honour in Jesus' lovely name. Amen.